Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I was and still am a medical doctor trying to pursue a career in acting. This is episode number 16. Sweet 16. And what a perfect guest to have for my Sweet 16 episode, the lovely, incredible Jen Gardner. Jen Gardner is a cake decorator turned actor. And I didn't know much about her until we had our conversation, except that you know she's a cake decorator and that we have the same agency. We're repped by the same agency. But wow, our conversation, holy jumpin'. She is such a fascinating human being. We go majorly into body image issues. She's trained in neuro-linguistic programming and shamanism. She's doing CBT training. We talk about mindset and just, oh my gosh, this conversation, I was not expecting it to be like this. It is fantastic. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Trigger warning, this episode does take a deep dive into eating disorders and pregnancy loss. So check the timestamps below for when that occurs if you want to skip that part. Please enjoy the lovely, incredibly talented Jen Gardner. Hi, Jen. Hi, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? I'm really good. It's lovely to finally meet you, but I feel like I know you just from social media and your coffee chats and stuff like that that I've watched. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I try I try to bring out some personality, but sometimes, yeah, I'm a bit of a dork. <laughs> we have the same, we're with the same agency, I think, too, right? Ritter, yes. Yeah, yeah. Woohoo! Ritter family. <laughs> Woohoo, Ritter. <laughs> So yeah, tell me about your journey coming into acting. What brought you into this crazy business? That That's a really good question. So backstory is I had gone all through school wanting to be a doctor. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Specifically a neonatal surgeon, which are the surgeons that work on the babies in the mummy's tummies when there's something wrong with them. I got pregnant early. I had my first kid when I was 20. So I was going to say that that deterred me from it, but I let that deter me from it because I'm taking responsibility for my excuses. (laughs) So I let that deter me from pursuing that path. I'm like, okay, well, I just had a a kid. I can't go to university and go become a doctor right now. Start taking cake decorating classes with my mom. That's something to do while I was off maternity leave because she had used to make these really cool cakes for my birthdays. Like my favorite was Raggedy Ann. I don't know if you remember Raggedy Ann. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we started taking cake decorating class. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I ended up going like all through the different ones at the Michael's craft store. And then my dad saw this cake decorating school in Cambridge where you could go and get like your elite certification and stuff. So I went to school, got my elite certification in cake decorating, started getting orders from family and friends, registered my first company at the age of 20 and opened a cake shop out of my house because uh, where I lived, uh, you could have a catering thing out of your house as long as you had two kitchens. Mm -hmm. So my mom and dad and my husband at the time helped me build a kitchen there. Uh, That actually led to the acting. (laughs) So... Through there, like a whole bunch of different opportunities opened up. I was even offered my own show at one point um, for my small project 
where I would do pro bono cakes for people to cheer them up or for people that were doing like nice things in the community and Rogers wanted to record it. We recorded the pilot and then the producer ended up uh, having to take some medical leave. And by the time he came back, I wasn't able to do to schedule and finish the rest of the series, but it was really cool to be offered. Um, I also got offered a regular segment on Rogers Daytime TV. So I'd go back once, sometimes twice a month for over a year on Rogers Daytime TV teaching cakes. When Rogers Daytime TV ended, a producer that knew me, I was talking to them. They found out that I had done like drama and stuff in school and had kind of enjoyed it. And they suggested I should try it for this TV show that I was hiring in Hamilton, Chronicles of the Blood. I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool, right? Like I, I've always been like the person, like I get an idea and I go and I try it, right? <laughs> like my, my resume is a mile long due to that fact. So I'm like, I went and tried it. I, I got offered an audition, went and got coached on the self-tape for it, got a callback went in for the callback, booked the role. That role that I booked was actually for iTerrorist. The role that was on there, I actually auditioned for iTerrorist. And then I kept seeing Chronicles of the Blood being advertised on Instagram. And then he approached me about auditioning for the Chronicles of the Blood. He's like, I was hoping you'd audition for this. So then I went in and I caught an audition for Chronicles of the Blood. And then I didn't book that role but I ended up booking <laughs> the picked queen Madwena. And from there I started to be like, oh, maybe I could really do this. So <laughs> it's a little bit crazy. So I went from like, oh yeah, this would be really cool to booking to lead roles off the start of my career. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting. And then from there I'm like, okay, now, now what do I have to do to actually like get this career going? And the reason I decided to pursue it wasn't for like the regular reasons of like, oh, I love art. Like, this is so amazing, right? Like, you know, the, the backstories of people that are like, oh, like I've loved art since I was a kid. It's just always been my thing. Like, that wasn't the reason. The reason that I decided to pursue it is because besides enjoying it, I kept seeing ways that I'd be able to help people, which is the main reason that I wanted to be a doctor. Mm. Uh, because I'd see people like Chris Evans. Uh, he started a starting point, right, to help people get um, bipartisan views on politics. There's Kristen Bell who started This Saves Lives to help people and um, malnutrition and kids. And then her Hello Bella company is helping parents. Uh, there's people like Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively that are constantly using their money to donate to the food banks. And I kept seeing that, okay, so this career could open those doors for me that I can in turn then, besides loving my career, also go and help people. So now I'm here. Yeah, it really does give a platform, I think, that people... It's interesting that you were saying that I spoke to another to another doctor slash actor like myself a couple weeks ago, and she said a very similar thing to yourself. You know, she's done a lot of work in public health, but found, yeah, sure, people will listen to the public health doctor, maybe. Yeah. But they'll really listen to someone like a celebrity. It, like, it gives you a platform to tell your message that a lot of people will really want to listen to and connect with for whatever reason. But I think that's a great thing that I think a lot of, I mean, you don't have to have another platform. You can just enjoy acting for the love of acting. But if there's something you believe so passionate in, here's a great platform to tell the world. For sure. And that's the reason I started the Lakota Project. So mm -hmm. I'm actually building out my own nonprofit right now to tackle food insecurity and homelessness worldwide. <laughs> tell yeah. me more about that. Yeah, so... The idea just came to me one day. Food insecurity has always been like a, 
a cause that has really tugged on my heartstrings, especially as a mom. Like mm-hmm. I would never ever want my kids ever to be in that position where they didn't have enough food. Right. And that's like always one of like your biggest concerns as a mom, like making sure your kids are fed, making sure they're clothed, making sure there's a roof over their head. Luckily I've never had to deal with that specifically because I've, I've come from a family that luckily that I haven't had to deal with that, but I see it happening to other people and it just really tugs on my heartstrings. So the idea came in the past six months to open up my own nonprofit to deal with that because I always knew that I wanted to help with that cause, but I didn't know how I was going to help with that. The Lakota Project's going to tackle first getting information to people because I feel like sometimes people don't use the services mm-hmm. because they don't know about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I came across that on one or more occurrences when I was helping my daughter help some of her friends that were experiencing food insecurity, that they didn't know of the services available in our area to help them because my daughter wanted to go do a grocery run for them. So we went and did that. My mom and my daughter and I did a grocery run for these kids. But then I also then set them up with the information to find the services in our area where they could get emergency food help. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is a problem worldwide, or maybe people don't know about the services available in their areas. Mm-hmm. So the first phase of the Lakota project is going to be a resource site worldwide. It's going to take a bit to build out because to in the country, I have to build it out in different languages, but people can go to the site. They can go to their area and they can find out what services are available to help them with financial strain or food insecurity in their area. Phase two of the project, we're going to be bringing in experts to help tackle the reasons why they might be experiencing food insecurity. So maybe they are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, Maybe they don't know how to save. Maybe they need to learn how to create extra revenue or um, passive income. So we're going to be bringing in experts to tackle those situations. I even have somebody coming in to talk about couponing. Because I have a friend that's really good at couponing that can get like entire cartfuls for like basically nothing. So that'll be phase two is bringing in the experts to tackle that. And then phase three, uh, we are going to be helping deal with the fact of food inflation. So we're going to be partnering with different companies to help tackle food inflation, as well as the Lakota Fund, which will help anybody that doesn't have access to services in their area. So, Wow. So it'll be like a three-phase project, but I, I'm really looking forward to it. So that's That's how I decided to help. And the reason it's named the Lakota Project, you'll notice that if you go to the site, it's dog. (laughs) So I got a rescue dog last April and her name's Lakota. And I looked up what her name means and it means friend. And when we got her, she was severely malnourished. The people that owned her, they moved countries and they left somebody in charge of taking care of her. And that person failed to do so. They weren't feeding her. They weren't letting her out of her cage. She was living in her own feces. She had lost all of her muscle mass to not being able to exercise or eat properly because they were only feeding her once a week. The son-in-law went to go check on the property and the son-in-law's friends with my oldest son and they found how the dog was being treated. My son knew that I wanted a dog. So they asked me if I'd still want to take one in because I love dogs. And I decided to take her in. Uh, So I thought she'd be the perfect emblem for the Lakota Project because her name means friend. And because of her situation with being malnourished, that she's a perfect mascot for the Lakota Project. That's incredible. Like The the biggest thing being, obviously, dissemination Mm -hmm. of information, right? Getting stuff out there. And then, like you were saying, you having the creative background, but also really, it sounds like, the nurturing background. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Not only from obviously you're a mom, but Mm -hmm. 
from the beginning, you know, wanting to be a doctor, but then also mm. the work that you do, you did when you were cake decorating, you know, yeah. you're saying the smile project, you would do cakes for people who were yeah. feeling down, right? So it sounds like you're a really, you're a nurturing person. Well, I get that from my parents. My parents are two of the most kindest, caring and giving people that I know. Mm-hmm. Like watching them grow up, I feel like they've instilled that in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like an example uh, my dad, when we were on the way home from up north, there was a barn on fire and he pulled over the side of the road. My mom and I and my brother stayed in the car. He ran up the laneway and he started helping the farmer get the animals out of the barn. Oh uh, there's been other occurrences where my dad was working on a job site and there was a person who couldn't get around because they couldn't afford a wheelchair. My dad went and found a used wheelchair to buy them. My mom is constantly helping me. Like She has her own full-time job. She also helps me bake cakes and stuff when she has time, right? To take the load off of me, which is like so kind of her. And then just like the examples of uh, knowing that my daughter's friends need help with food. She went out and did like a full grocery run, showed up with a car full of stuff. Like that's just them. Like they constantly, if you mention that you need something, they'll show up at your door with it for you because they, they want to help in any way that they can. So that that's the parents that I grew up with. And I'm very lucky to have that because not everyone has that in their family, right? Some people Mm -hmm. come from a family where they don't have those things at all. So I'm very privileged to have had that and very grateful for that. And I would like to help other families where I can do the same. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Did the, do you think the creativity that you have came from your parents as well? Um, I think so. Like my mom said that ever since I was a little girl that I've always just gone and tackled things. I posted this quote one day where it's like, don't ever let, tell me that I can't do something, right? And my mom's like, well, you've been like that since I was a little girl. And not like in a defiant way where like if somebody says, oh, you can't do that because of X, Y, Z. It's like, okay, well, watch me. Watch me go do this, right? And I've just had that mentality growing up where if somebody said I can't do something or I or there was something that I didn't know how to do, I went and I figured it out. And I know Mel Robbins just posted a book and it kind of clued me in. There's the five second rule. So I act before my brain can talk me out of something. I think that's where the creativity comes from, right? Because when you act before your brain talks you out of it, it opens you up to be creative. It's interesting because you had your cake decorating business Mm -hmm. and then that transitioned into television shows about the Mm -hmm. cake decorating business where you were kind of showcasing what you were doing. Mm -hmm. What do you think you've pulled from that into now more character acting? Because that's a, that's a whole, this is a whole different ball game, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I feel like the cake company has developed a few skills in me. Like for one, it's perception, right? Like you learn to look for things that other people might not see, right? When you're designing something. And I feel like that has pulled out even a director quality in me to a degree. I'm not saying I'm a good director because I haven't directed anything yet. (laughs) I'm just saying like, I'll notice things when I'm on set. I'll notice things, um, on a production where they, they could have tweaked that or they could have done that. And that's what I've been doing with cakes for 18 years, right? Like, oh, this needs to like move like slightly over here to make this fit in the goal of the design. Whereas mm-hmm. I've been doing that now when I'm on set, like I see like, oh, okay, if we move this like slightly over here, then this would hit better for the goal of the scene. So I'm going to be trying out directing with actually, I started a production company with a feature film that I'm writing. So, um, so I'm, I'm curious to see if those skills actually do transfer well into directing. The other thing I found transferred over is just camera confidence, right? When mm. when I first started doing these segments on Rogers TV, it was a live show. 
So you'd have seven minutes on a live show to get your cake project done, right? So just the camera confidence of being able to talk to somebody as well as completing a full task um, develops camera confidence because at first you're like so freaking nervous, like this is live television, like what if I don't get it done, right? Like what if they talk too much and I don't accomplish the project that they brought me on to do? What if I didn't like complete enough steps? So you learn the camera confidence as well as you learn the planning ahead, right? And I feel like that transfers over into auditions and being prepared for set, right? If you uh, if you prepare, if you're off book, if you know your goals, if you know your character, then you're more well to do on like well in your audition or on set. And that's a skill I picked up doing these segments. So those are three skills that I think have transferred over from doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would expect there was a ton of improv in those live okay. shows. <laughs> that has got, Cause that, that's just terrifying. You, you also learn to roll with the punches too, yeah. right? When you're doing interview series, like my, my first interview series, he was so funny. He was like, Hey, like they call you, Hey sugar. I'm like, yeah, because I'm a sugar artist, right? And he's like, are these your real teeth? I'm like, yes, these are my real teeth. <laughs> and you, you just, you learn to roll with that stuff. So it's just funny. <laughs> I wonder if there's got to be a piece that builds the confidence as well, because you were there as the hmm. expert. Yeah. Right? Like, you well, know more true. about this than everyone. That's very true. But I feel like we always have to deal with like the imposter syndrome, right? Where it's like, okay, they're, they're bringing me on this as an expert, but I'm I really qualified to be on here as an expert because there's so many more talented cake artists than I am and blah, 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 blah. Like you always go through that in your head, right? So I, I've done a lot of mindset work over the past two decades, which has been a huge factor too. And I think that really helps with acting. Like if you don't have the mindset there, then I think you're pretty much screwed in any career that you really... Mindset is key. I know it's like cliche and you hear it all the time and it pops up and maybe it's like lost its impact, but mindset truly is key. But yeah, when they bring you on as the expert, it's a little bit of camera confidence, but I feel like it's also, uh, it can go the other way because you feel like you're living up to an expectation, right? And if you're not, if you don't deliver, then it's like, oh my gosh, what are people going to think of me? Are they going to judge me? Oh my gosh, right? (laughs) Right. So I think the key with camera confidence is just repetition. Right, just constantly doing it over and over and over again because then your brain forms these neural pathways where you've done this before, so it's not as like ah anymore being in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah it's like um, what is it, immersion therapy, or when yeah. you're trying to conquer a fear, right? You just get yourself yeah. like if you're scared of clowns, just go hang out with clowns for a bunch of time. You know, right. and finally you'll realize oh this isn't that big of a deal. Same with this, right? Get out there and just do it, and you realize yeah the world's not going to end. It's still terrifying. Exactly. Like repetition is the key to all learning, right? You keep doing it over and over again. And it's like riding, riding a bike. They'll tell you that it's been scientifically proven that the brain can't tell the difference between reality and a story. So if you keep envisioning something in your head over and over and over again, your brain thinks that you've already done that, right? Which then makes it easier to go and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did that come from your mindset work? Yeah, so uh, funny enough, you know, uh, I was telling you that I like to go do things. So (laughs) I just got certified in uh, neuro-linguistics programming. Uh, I'm going through right now for cognitive behavioral therapy, and I'm taking fundamentals of neuroscience um, through Harvard X right now online. Wow. Yeah, so, and I also did Jim Fortin's transformational coaching program, which has a huge focus on NLP and shamanism. So a lot of that comes from all that learning, all that mindset work and the scientific approach of how the brain works. And I feel, I've said this before in other 
podcasts and stuff, I feel like if they taught brain science at even a minor level in high school, how the brain works, how you can program it for success, that kids would be so much more successful in life, right? Oh, God. Because learning how to reprogram your brain out of a bad habit and program in new habits is such a key factor in doing anything in life. And I feel like so many people don't accomplish goals and dreams is because they've never been taught properly how to reprogram your brain for success and put that new habit in there that will create those outcomes for you. Any words of advice from that? I know it's a huge topic, but anything that you've learned that are kind of quick little tips for us? Yeah. So the first one being that thing I was saying, act before your brain talks you out of it. You have seven Mm -hmm. seconds to get off your butt and move and go do that thing before your brain starts coming up with every excuse in the book to keep you safe, right? Your brain thinks that every habit in your head is there to keep you safe, right? That's your brain's goal in life is to keep you safe. It can't tell the difference between a bad habit and a good habit. It just knows that the habits you have, it thinks you need them to survive. So if you're trying to do something that you haven't done before that you want to do, you have to act before your brain talks you out of it. So you have about seven seconds before your brain goes on autopilot and goes back to your old habits. So when I have an idea to do something that I want to do, I immediately start a task on that. So I got an idea to create coffee chat, right? My, my talk show. I immediately start and I, uh, I booked my first guest in immediately, my best friend. I did it. Like, I just need to book somebody in. And then I immediately went and I created an ad for her. So that was me taking the first action so that my brain couldn't talk me out of it anymore. I was like, okay, now I'm committed. The second thing I'd, be, I'd say is envisioning, right? Keep playing over and over again in your head the outcome of you getting that result or the goal. And do it first thing when you wake up in the morning or right before you go to bed because your brain takes in information better when you're relaxed. If you are stressed out and you are doing things and you're fully awake, your brain's not going to program that in at a subconscious level, right? And that's where you want to go. You don't want to use your analytical brain to program in a new habit. It's not going to do anything. That's why a lot of resolutions fail because you're you're using your analytical brain where you need to actually go into your subconscious brain. And that only happens when you're relaxed. So that's a key thing I would say is act before you're ready. Go and do one thing at that goal or that dream. Just start. And then the other thing is envisioning over and over again that story playing in your head. Do it like two or three times a day, right? Like maybe on your lunch break. Just close your eyes and for five minutes just envision that outcome of that goal, right? Because Mm -hmm. when you encompass that into your body, your brain thinks you've already done it. So then it's going to start seeing things in your life to set you up for that thing. Right. I really like the idea of acting before your brain kicks in as a very logical analytical person guilty that is terrifying because right. I don't know if I trust that those first seven seconds yeah. but how would you approach something like a self tape for example mm-hmm. like would you how would you bring those two lessons in of envisioning but also like do you bring in the how do you use that? I'm not going to let my brain kick in for seven seconds towards something like an audition. Do you at all? Yeah. So when I first started, I would get auditions and I would self-sabotage myself like, Oh, I'm not going to get this because I'm, I'm, I'm not skinny enough or I'm not going to get this because of X, Y, Z, or I'm not going to get this because of this. Right. Um, and that was my brain self-sabotaging myself. So once I realized that I was doing that, you got to recognize the behavior. Uh, then you pull in that, five or seven second rule, whatever you want to go with. Mel Robbins says five. I know that after seven seconds that your brain goes on autopilot. So between five to seven seconds, you need to just go do it. So 
instead of now talking myself out of things and self-sabotaging myself, I immediately confirm. It's like, nope, I'm not even going to like go through this. I'm not going to talk myself out of it. I'm just going to automatically confirm. Now I'm committed, right? Then I immediately start going through the sides. Um, I read them through. A lot of people will just like look at their lines. I read through the entire thing 10 times, right? Because your brain then starts to form a neural pathway for that addition. Uh, then I learn my lines, right? Then I memorize the lines because then you can be off book, right? And that's that whole, like, it goes back to the like, envisioning something in your head, right? Like the repetition, right? So you need to do that repetition because your brain needs 66 repetitions to form a full habit. So if you repeat that 66 times in your head, whether or not you're reading the full thing or you're just saying your lines out loud, uh, then it'll be in there and then you can be off book and you can play with it. And that's not to say go do 66 self tapes. That's do your preparation work before you go and record it. Right? Right. And don't memorize the lines as you're going to say them. Like I know a lot of people will be like, okay, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to say it that way. Just memorize the words. Because then when you go do it on camera, you can play with how you're going to say it because you're going to feel it. You're not going to be like in your head going, okay, what was that line again? Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you do, do you work when you were saying about envisioning, Mm -hmm. you come at this from both an actor and a director mindset. It sounds like Mm -hmm. when I know when I envision, when I'm reading sides, Mm -hmm. I see it from the lens of what I've now learned is the director. I see the two players, even though I know one of the players is going to be me and the -hmm. other person doing their thing. And I'm kind of looking down at it or I'm Mm -hmm. looking at it. Yeah. And I've been told that's maybe not the right way to look at things. I mean, we get told tons of things in the industry, right, wrong, whatever. They're like, no, no, you need to be in you, the character, looking at the other person as the actor, not up above yeah. as the director, puppet master. What would you say to that? So I feel like that's like a personal thing to everyone, right? Depending on who you're talking to, that opinion will change. <laughs> I feel like it can't hurt you knowing all the aspects, right? Because when you can see something from a director perspective and you can see something from a cinematographer or a, or a DOP perspective and the actor perspective, I feel like that sets you up to do a better take, right? Mm. Because then you're doing, you're not trying to complete somebody else's version of something because a lot of people go into a self-tape is like, okay, what are they looking for? Um, Joseph Perlin has a really good saying, assume you're what they're looking for, right? Joseph Perlin's an acting coach in LA. Assume you are what they're looking for, and this is what they're going to... You're giving them what they want, right? Don't try and create what you think they want. Just bring your best take. But knowing how the director would come at something, and knowing how the DOP would come at something, and then knowing how you would come at something with an actor, I feel like makes you a well-rounded actor, right? To give your best version of what you're bringing to the role. Mm. And that's my personal opinion. Other people you talk to might be like, oh, just focus on being an actor, right? Just do your actor job. But I feel like extra information and knowing all the jobs can't hurt you, right? It just provides you a different perspective of looking at something. Makes Mm. total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Has anything really surprised you about the entertainment industry since you started? (laughs) Um, When I first started, uh, so I had an eating disorder in high school, Okay. Uh, I overcame it. Uh, I had anorexia. When I started acting, one of the first roles, like not the first two I've already talked about, but a different role, one of the first movie roles I was offered, the distribution company 
hired me, like the production company hired me and the distribution company okayed me, but then they went back on it and said that I wasn't thin enough to play the hero role. So what surprised me about this industry is how much we are still focusing on what we think society should look like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't think that heroes are only twigs. (laughs) No. Right. So that right there actually triggered me into that self-sabotage I was talking about where I'd be like getting in my head about, um, okay, well, they're not going to hire me anyways because I'm too fat. Right. That that triggered that, that old mindset from that eating disorder that I had to then pull myself out of. But that still surprised me about this industry of how stereotypical it still is in a lot of productions. Right. And I hope as we go forward, we see more people that look like everyday people on screen playing the heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Playing the lead actors and not just focusing on, okay, well, you're getting this role because you're thin. Yeah, it's I've and I've heard many mm-hmm. a thing about that from different people. You know, you hear, oh, it's a visual industry. Sorry, but that's what it is. But then you hear the other side saying, we're changing totally. We want people from all other walks of life. And then you get told, you need to figure out what your type is and you need to figure that out now. Otherwise, you aren't marketable. And then it's, well, you could play whatever you want. No, you're only going to be the hallmark best friend. And it's funny because I went 33 years being a twig, right? Like I had such issues putting on weight and then I had a back-to-back pregnancy. Uh, So um, I had a miscarriage at six months for pregnancy and then ended up getting pregnant three months later. So those back-to-back pregnancies caused me to put on a little bit of extra weight, right? Mm -hmm. So I was no longer the twig, but I wasn't fat. I was average. But I'm like, so if this is a visual industry, then I want to visually see people that look like me on the screen. Yes. Of all walks of life. <laughs> so I, I'm not knocking being thin because I was thin for the majority of my life. And I'm not knocking fat. And I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying that to still go on the perception of that only heroes can be thin. Like only, like only or sorry, only thin people can be heroes. I, I feel like that's not okay. <laughs> it's not. It's absolutely yeah. not. There's so many heroes in real life that aren't twigs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And it's hard because... You can get overwhelmed with what do we do about it, right? Because they always right. talk about, well, change starts with you. It's like, well, okay, what am I? I'm the lowest on the low totem pole. Yeah. But I think it it does truly come from like people mm-hmm. like yourself who now, who disseminate information, right? Exactly yeah. what we were talking about before. Well, and two, it comes from people being, okay, well, I've had enough of this. Let's go create my own thing. Yes. So it's not relying on other people 100% anymore. So when you're taking your own career into your hands and that's where you can develop your own production. So if you're not getting hired for the things that you want to be hired for, then create your own content, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't 100% rely on other people to hire you start your own thing, which is why I've started my own production company. I'm not waiting anymore to be hired for the roles that I want to do. I'm going to create the roles I want to do. Right. And that's taking your career into your own hands and not be like, Oh, I'm not getting hired for the auditions that I'm doing, or I'm not getting the roles I want. It's like, okay, well then go create them. Right. Yes. Stop, stop making an excuse and go create them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got to do it within the first five seconds, seven seconds of thinking that, otherwise your brain will kick in. You, you got to make a decision to do it, right? Like even if it's like, okay, well, um, I'm gonna research different types of things I could do, right? Even if it's just that, even if it's just doing a Google search, that that's a first action step. And put something in your calendar. Be like, okay, well, here's the next step of what I need to do to go create something, right? Mm-hmm. 
or research how to do script writing. Okay, there's something. Or if you don't want to tackle the writing part, then research different writers, right? There's so many different ways that you can go about creating your own content. But the point is, is not to sit back and have life happen to you. The point is to go create your own life. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you do the, f- the former, right, where you're just sitting there, that's mm-hmm. when people start to get angry and angsty and bitter against this industry yeah. and any industry that they're part of. And you got to take responsibility fully for your life. And that is a huge lesson to learn. Everything in your life, whether you not, whether you agree with me or not, I've learned that you've created it. One step that you have done, even like I've been in like a couple of really bad relationships, even that, like that was a result of choices that I made, right? I'm not responsible for their actions. I'm responsible for mine. I chose to get into that relationship. I chose to let it continue to happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not placing blame on anyone. What I'm doing is I'm taking responsibility for like, oh, okay. Um, I'm taking responsibility for that. So it's no longer, uh, I'm no longer the victim, right? Mm-hmm. I'm taking my power back and you're like, okay, I'm fully responsible for everything that's happened to me. Let's make a change here. Let's yeah. not let this ever happen again. What can I do to prevent this from happening in the future? Right? that i just got chills (laughs) well it's such a hard lesson to learn it's like okay but they're being the the a-hole right or or they're doing this to me or there it's like the minute you start blaming everyone else okay yes okay maybe they're being an a-hole got it okay they're responsible for the fact that they're being an a-hole you're responsible for your choice what you do next when you're experiencing that and that really is all that there is Mm-hmm. Right when it comes down to it, is your actions, your behaviors, and yourself. You can't, and you can't control what other people are going to do. No, you which can't. Is a hard thing to let go of. And you're not responsible for what other people do. You're responsible for you, and that's that's the responsibility you have to take back. And that's where getting out of making up excuses comes in. And it's such a hard thing. Like I'm still struggling with that to this day, but I'm getting much better at it. Right? It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm placing blame on them. Okay, but what role did I play in this? Okay, mm. how can I now make it? better choice to do something and move on. I think that's such a tough thing to do. I agree. Because again, like what you were saying earlier on, your brain wants to be safe and bringing responsibility to yourself as opposed to externalizing it is not a safe thing to do because it makes you vulnerable and your brain's like, I don't want to be vulnerable. Let's go place blame on someone else. That's easy. Well, it's so much easier to blame everyone else. But what happens when you blame everyone else, you get stuck there and you don't move forward. And that's a really crappy place to be. It's so empowering to take full responsibility for your life and be like, okay, I'm done letting life happen to me and I'm going to go create my life because you get one of them. You get one life. Or unless you believe in reincarnation, okay? Maybe then you get like five. But ideally, we get one life, okay? And if you're constantly living in stock, you're constantly living in depression, you're constantly living in blaming everyone else, um, how is that working for you? Do you have the things you want in your life right now? So obviously it's not working if that's what you're stuck in. So let's change something and make it work so that you do get to end up in the rocking chair at the end of your life going, I'm so glad I did that instead of I regret the fact that I didn't do these things. Hoof preach, Jen. <laughs> and and this might not be a popular opinion and that, that's okay. Like everybody's entitled to their opinion, but this is mine, right? And this is how I become a multifashioned entrepreneur. And happy while doing it because you're doing what you yeah. love to do. It's so yeah. important. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Like I said, I've had crappy relationships I've had bad things happen to me like there's stuff that I don't fully talk about behind the scenes right so uh, I don't want to get this perception like I'm perfect and like everything I does is just like 100% okay 
but when I recognize something that's not right now, I make the conscious choice to change it. That's the difference is now I recognize what's happening. I recognize behaviors or I recognize situations and like, okay, no, I'm not, this is not happening more. This is not working for me. Let's make a better choice. I have now questions that are a bit more casual. Sure. Um, Because we usually kind of get into the heavy stuff, like exactly what you did. (laughs) People are just fascinating. Do you have a fun, funny, crazy on set, on stage, in class story? I got thrown in a bush. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Tell me more. So there was this uh, scene in a TV show I was filming, and the, the person I was supposed to be kissing was bare feet. And he slipped. And he ended up tossing me into the bush by accident when he slipped. <laughs> yes. Uh, so like one minute I'm in the shot and the next minute it's like, where'd Jen go? <laughs> I hope you got a stunt credit. <laughs> I, I, I did. I, I was doing my own stunts for that TV show anyways, but it was just funny. Right? That was awesome. <laughs> Very romantic. Yeah. Right? It's like, where'd you go? already answered this question because there's my question for you is is there anything you're looking forward to in 2022 because it's been a bit of a dismal start to the year in Canada yeah. um, but anything that's kind of light in your fire right now you've got a lot of great stuff going on yeah like I am really looking forward to filming my own movie like I said I've been writing the script there's been some late nights because you like you'll get like a writer kick and be like okay I gotta get like all these scenes out of my head before like they're gone right yeah uh, so the last night was one of them I was up till like 3 a.m putting these scenes out of my head um so I'm really looking forward to filming that it's called The Emotional Terrorist um I've already starting to put together like a, a dream team um there's still many more roles to fill but it's just it's exciting to see it come together and then I'm really looking forward to some other productions that I've already been hired to do, uh, as well as uh, spending some time with family this year, which that's been like a kind of like a blessing of the pandemic. Well, it's been crappy to be in lockdowns. You get more time with family. Mm-hmm. But um, that also puts into perspective how valuable time with family is and you create more opportunities to spend time with them. Right. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that, too. And I'm just looking forward to seeing where this year takes me especially with the Lakota project especially with everything in the works and seeing what gets accomplished by New Year's Eve 2022 and I'm I'm hoping that involves helping a ton of people with the Lakota project and I'm hoping that involves um being really creative with some productions and stuff and seeing some great things so how would you say that your parents loved ones or guardians how would they describe what you do I don't even know if they could. (laughs) I think they've lost track of everything I do because everybody's always making the joke, is there anything you don't do? (laughs) And then I make the joke sleep. I don't sleep. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) They've they've been joking around the phrase lately, Jen of all trades instead of Jill of all trades. Oh, I love that. But if you look at everything I'm doing, like I'm an actor, I'm a producer, I'm a writer uh, from the entertainment perspective and soon to be a director. From a business perspective, I'm a cake artist, I'm a multi-passion entrepreneur, I'm a founder, I'm a philanthropist. So it's just, it's so hard sometimes when somebody asks what I do, it's like, okay, well, which version or which industry would you like me to tell you about, (laughs) 
and that that's really come into fruition too. Um, so I'm I'm doing media training in a mastermind, and you're supposed to have like your three sentence bio of telling people who you are and who you help. Right? It's like okay. So then it was like when I first tried to write it, it was like verbal diarrhea. Like ten sentences later, of here's what I do. So I finally gotten it down into three sentences. Finally, <laughs> of telling people like in a nutshell of what I do. And then if they want to ask more questions than they can, right. But yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I'm an actor, I'm a cake artist and I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur and founder. And then if they want to ask more questions about any of those industries, then they can dive into that. So that's the jumping off point for it. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Otherwise it's like, <laughs> <laughs> is there any, uh, like kind of like final words of wisdom or any advice you would give anyone who's interested in switching from their job into acting? Yeah, I would say ultimately in life, do what makes you happy, right? So often we get stuck in this, okay, well, we got to go to school, right? And then we, we got to get our job and this job we're going to have for the rest of our life. And we have to have like a good paying job and this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Money has a place. Okay. Money always has a place. Money makes the world go around. But if you're not happy, are you really successful and is it really worth it? So wouldn't it be better to change your career, like acting and be happy? And okay. The the industry's hard. You're not going to make money probably right off the bat. That's the unfortunate part of the way this industry is set up. Right. Mm -hmm. But you can get into acting and you can have side jobs. Like you could work for Instacart um, so that you still have an income and then you have the flexibility of still becoming an actor, right? So it's finding those, it's finding what works for you, right? If you want to become an actor, find what works for you to make that happen. If that's something that's going to really make you happy and all you need to solve is the financial aspect until you start becoming a paid actor, then look into jobs that have flexible schedules. And a lot of people do delivery jobs. A lot of people do bartending or waitressing jobs because it gives them that flexibility, right? Um, until you can create full-time income with acting or other side hustles, create a YouTube channel, create your own content. I know tons of people that have skits in series where they're creating on YouTube and eventually they're going to get Google ad revenue for those, which means then they're creating passive income so that they can pursue a career of their dreams, right? Mm -hmm. Acting, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all about just finding what works for you and finding how to make it work for you. And if you don't know how to do something. So say you don't know how to make it work for you, then talk to people in the industry that you know, research on Google, go on YouTube. There's so much invaluable information on YouTube where people have taken the time to put that information out. There's a blog on my website where I think we have like 10 actors give advice to new actors. Like there's so much information on the web now that there shouldn't be an excuse not to go and pursue something. The key is just getting off your butt. That's a key. Okay. Get off your butt <laughs> and take the first step because until you do that, then it's just wishful thinking.
Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Jen, for being my guest this week. Everyone, please check out the incredible work she's doing with the Lakota Project. The links will be in the show notes below if you want to check out what she's doing. And also check out her work with her show, Coffee Chats. The best place I found to find them are on YouTube, but you can also find her Instagram channel as well in the show notes below. I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!